There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. December 1968, Bayswater, West London. 16 miles north of Leatherhead Golf Course. Three years before the unidentified victim's shallow graves were unearthed, and just one month before her grisly demise, a five-foot, four-inch woman of medium build, with neck-length dark hair, which was greying at the roots, entered 72 Queensborough Terrace, where she was known and felt safe. In her hand, she clutched a small suitcase containing some clothes. Latvia House was a slightly shabby but affordable little hostel, which is a place of refuge for London's Latvian refugees to find shelter during the dark times, provided a bed for a few shillings with a locked door. Turning the key and sliding the bolt to shield her from the struggles of her chaotic life, the woman exhaled deeply as she lay on the soft, soothing warmth of her bed in the familiar sanctuary of room 16. Fingering her two silver rings to remind her of a marriage which she once thought was good, before being beaten blue and bleeding red, she fled to London. And although now alone, she nestled into the reassuring pillow, wearing a navy blue slip, a pink woolen housecoat, and blue carpet slippers. And although she would often vanish without a trace, no one reported her missing. Not her friends, not her lover, and especially not her ex-husband. Tuesday the 7th of September 1971, two years and nine months later. Three shallow graves at Ashton Woods told the detectives almost nothing about the sadistic killer, who DCS Schemmick had described as a monster. As with nature having eviscerated every finger and footprint, the killer's meticulous ways had made him invisible. So to find him, they needed to find her.
given the insurmountable task of discovering the identity of a faceless woman of unknown origin. The detectives took every tiny clue and exhausted every angle, as each lead was a step nearer to the truth. On Thursday the 10th, they handed over the crime scene to Charles Young, a forestry pathologist, an expert in assessing changes in nature, as by examining the soil erosion, fungal growth, and the decomposition of the bark, the damaged root formations of the young tree under which the torso had been buried deduced that the graves were dug during the non-growing period of 1968-69. to 69. And as a sharp frost bit at the end of December 1968, and for the first time in years, with it being a white Christmas, the cut marks of the letter N, which were whittled into the young tree, potentially by the killer himself, also came from the same season. With the head wrapped in a barely legible and badly degraded newspaper, Frederick Waller, a librarian at the Evening Standard, was able to date the edition to Thursday the 5th of December, 1968. As the varying states of decomposition had made determining her age almost impossible, one of the legs was shipped off to the Smithsonian Institute, who did good results with a new technique of carbon dating the bones. And they confirmed that she was in her late 40s and had been dead for almost three years. And with her face unrecognisable, owing to skin slippage, corpse wax and feasting insects, a portrait painter and a pathologist called Roy Reynolds was hired to build a replica of her head and to work out what she may have looked like. The details of who she was were becoming even clearer, but it was two clues which would become the most useful. John Sharp, a ring appraiser, stated that both the wedding and engagement rings were made of white metal, they were designed in a continental style, that the amber stone was stylish but cheaply cut, and that the inscription of 835 inside of the wedding band was a German hallmark. And although the skull had degraded, the jaw had partially collapsed, and the teeth were no longer sat in their sockets, having been repositioned by a forensic dentist, prints were made and circulated to every dentist across the country, with Interpol making inquiries in Austria, Germany, Switzerland and France. It was now an international investigation, and yet her identity would be discovered a little closer to home. On Wednesday the 10th of November 1971, just nine weeks after the body was found, Clifford Allen, a dentist from Mansfield in Nottinghamshire, recognised the defining characteristics of the teeth, a pattern of six fillings made of mercury, tin, silver, and attributed it to a patient who he hadn't seen since April 1967. Using the electoral roll to identify her former addresses, three friends, who were all housewives in the Mansfield area, recognised the rings, and now the police had a name. 48-year-old Eleonora Essence, who was known as Nora, 
Eleonora Essens was born in Riga, the capital of Latvia, on the 24th of December 1920. With her mother a housewife, her stepfather a jeweller, and a younger sister. Little is known of her early life, but with a broken leg, having been fixed badly owing to an unskilled doctor, this left her with a limp to her right leg. In her late teens, she married a Latvian national of Greek origin and became Eleonora Viano, giving birth to two children. With that, her life should have been blessed and she should have earned the right to live a good life, as happy as anyone else. But it was not to be. As an independent country, crushed under the jackboots of German and Russian occupation. By 1941, Latvia was in a persistent state of civil unrest. As amidst a slew of invasions and bombings, some of its people were pro-Nazi, others were pro-Soviet, and with the same family often split between fighting for one side or the other, thousands of Latvians were sent to concentration camps for collaborating with the Russians or the Germans for daring to be independent, for standing up for their country, or for fighting for neither. 90,000 mostly Latvian Jews were killed in concentration camps, and 80 to 100,000 died during the fighting, including Nora's husband and her two children. Barely into her twenties, she was a widow, with no home, no job, no money, and no family. As a young single woman, Nora was sent to a displaced persons camp at Lübeck in Germany. Living in an era where a woman couldn't survive without a husband, as a young attractive widow of five foot four inches tall, with dark hair, pale skin, grey blue eyes, and a curvaceous figure, Nora knew how to use not only her God given attributes to lure in the men, but also her flirtatious and alluring ways. With her supply lines decimated, Nora's sexuality was a currency for many a lonely man who, for the price of a sweet word, a little kiss, and maybe something more, could buy her food, clothes, or medicine. Anything she needed as a single woman, as this wasn't prostitution, this was survival. In 1946, at a registry office in Lübeck, having found love either through need or necessity, Nora married a fellow Latvian, Alexander Essence. And although both were broke, on the left hand she wore a white metal ring with amber stones and a wedding band with the hallmark 835. By 1947, granted British work permits, Alexander and Nora moved to Nottingham. And although she had escaped a certain death, she would soon face another.
get him work as a hospital cleaner in York Market Harborough, Full Sutton and Worksop. Later moving to Mansfield General, she stopped working in 1948 owing to a bout of appendicitis. And as her many scars would show, a full hysterectomy in 1959 and a hernia operation in 1960 left her plagued with frequent sickness and chronic pain. In 1950, Nora and Alexander Essens moved into a ground floor flat at 48 Armstrong Road in Mansfield. Alexander told the police, We used to have rows, but only slight ones. Which wasn't the truth in the slightest. As Alexander Yannix, their recently separated Latvian lodger, knew only too well. As the walls were painfully thin, and their voices were ear-splittingly loud. Later in a statement to the police, Alec Yannix would state, The main reason for the breakdown of their marriage was his habitual drunkenness. This led to many violent quarrels. As a trusted friend to both of them, who was quiet, kind and bookish, Nora, Alec Yannix would state, Hope that my presence in the house would stop her husband from beating her. The problem being that only being small and slightly built, I tried to restrain him from attacking her, but I was only partially successful. Nora's face was often a patchwork of blacks and blues, so often seeking solace in other men. It was no surprise that, with a husband in an affair, and having a child with a local widow called Helen Singh, that Nora, being in need of a man who could and would treat her well, that she fell for Alec Yannix. On Wednesday the 31st of July 1963, as a premonition of how horrible her life could have been, the Nottingham Evening Post reported, Uncle thrashed two boys with a rope. Pleading guilty to two summonses, Alexandra Essence, 39, was fined £5 for causing grievous bodily harm to Graham Sink, age 13, and Geoffrey Sink, age 12. Those were two of the sons of Helen Sink, the woman he was having an affair with. That Christmas, still living together, as owing to her medical pain, Nora was unable to work, He'd state, We had a big row. It ended with me hitting my wife. I was fined £5 at Mansfield Magistrates Court and ordered to pay her £5 a week as maintenance. Records confirm that that court case occurred on the 2nd of February 1964, of which Alexander Essence claimed, That was the last time I saw her. Six years before her death, and 156 miles north of Leatherhead. But he tried to contact her twice. Questioned by the police, he would state, In September 1969, I wanted to claim sickness benefit. I went to the Social Security office to try and locate her. 
I was told that she was at 72 Queensborough Terrace in Bayswater, a place known as Latvia House. I did not go to the address, and I have never visited there, which the police could neither prove nor disprove. And then, in February 1970, I began to make inquiries through a solicitor to trace her to start divorce proceedings and to query the maintenance money I gave her. It was then he was told it had accumulated to the equivalent of £5,600. And apparently, my wife had not claimed it since the Christmas of 68. It's odd that this didn't strike him as odd. That an unemployed widow, unable to work owing to paints, hadn't collected her main source of income beyond her pitiful state benefit for over a year. And yet he didn't chase it up. He didn't ask her friends. He didn't go to the police. And more importantly, he didn't report her missing. Had she been able to see beyond the torment of her past, it would have been clear to Nora that Alec Yannix was a man a million miles away from the swinging fists and fiery temper of her ex-husband. As a five-foot-five-inch ex-minor, who was blind in one eye and registered disabled owing to an injured back, the only anger Alec ever showed was mild frustration at himself when he couldn't finish the crossword. In 1967, moving to London to start a new life. In February, Alec fulfilled his dream by becoming an aviation and military editor at McDonald's & Co. Publishing at 49 Poland Street in Soho. Specialising in the analysis of aircraft and warships, using documents which he translated from Polish and Russian to English. With his first book, Rocket Fighter, the Messerschmitt 163 by Mano Ziegler, still in print. Earning a solid wage of £2,400 a year, finally he could indulge his passion by filling the many neat and orderly bookshelves in his home with aviation reference books in an alphabetical order as well as being able to afford to rent a decent flat in a good part of town for Nora and himself. And as a symbol of his love, he regularly brought her gifts. Earrings, dresses, a fur coat, and a nine-carat gold ring. As a battered husband to a brutal wife, whose conviction had led their children to be put into care, Alec too was a victim running away from a bad marriage. Seeking to rebuild the shattered remains of his family, he had begun to correspond with his daughter Linda and to repair the damage of their past. The future looked rosy. But for Nora, she saw only darkness. By June 1967, 
They were living in a pleasant little self-contained flat, a 22-table court in Cheam, which was neat, clean and secure. I tried hard to make a go of it, Alex said, but was not very successful. As she had done, all too often in Mansfield, Nora vanished without any rhyme nor reason. Worried, Alec always reported her missing, but often leaving the flat for days at a time. I do not know where she went to or where she stayed. Seeing her mentally decline, Alec's boss at the publishers put him in touch with Dr. Doreen Stracy, a psychiatrist, which he did for Nora and I at the firm's expense. Unfortunately, the visit was not helpful. And being most scathing about the whole thing, Nora just laughed at it. As a woman with no work, no family, and no hobbies to occupy her mind and to calm her anxieties, plagued by her past and burdened by a jealous streak, being left alone for hours on end in an empty flat as her besotted boyfriend earned an honest crust for them both, Nora only got sicker and sicker. In August 1968, as if fate had spited her, while crossing the street, Nora was hit by a motor scooter. Rushed to Charing Cross Hospital. Luckily, an x-ray showed that there were no breaks nor fractures. But as a partially disabled woman, whose right leg already had a limp, even though she barely existed on a cocktail of strong painkillers and sleeping pills. For her, it was painful to stand and crippling to walk. Across the month, Nora was bedbound for days on end, played by pain day and night. As a good man, full of love for the woman he adored, Alec hated seeing Nora like this. So it was no surprise that, although disabled himself, being a man who was described as gentle, honest, honourable, conscientious, meticulous, and always very punctual, that in those last few months, he was often her live-in carer. By September, with her pain not subsiding, Alec moved them from their second-floor flat in Cheam to Kendall Villa on Sutton Lane, as owned by Dr. Doreen Stracy. A ground-floor flat, directly opposite the soothing greenery of Turnham Green, and barely a short stagger from the shops on Chiswick High Road. As a homely little flat, with a kitchen, a bathroom, a sitting room, and a bedroom with twin beds, they settled in without blinking, decorating it with family photos, mementos of Latvia, and as a bookworm who devoured the intricate details about the payload capacity of the Ardo AR-234 jet bomber, or how the Heinkel HE-112 consisted of 26,864 rivets, a fact which Nora rolled her eyes at. He had shelves for his many reference books, a place for his military regalia, a broken air pistol, which as a practical man he planned to fix one day, and a neatly organised toolbox for all of those little jobs 
which needed doing. It should have been the perfect flat for both of them. As he kept it clean, he made her meals. His wage was just enough, and his sympathetic employer let him leave early when he needed to. But as a frequently bedbound woman who was plagued by her past, Alec was so used to Nora leaving him that he stopped querying the packed suitcase which she kept by the side of her bed, as he knew that when she was ready, and only when she was ready, she would always come back to him. Only one time, she didn't. As a witness to her life with a violent ex-husband and her last known sighting alive, Alec told the police, a few days later, she disappeared again. When I asked her where she had been, she said that she'd stayed with a nice Greek fellow in Sutton. The sicker she got, the more she fled without reason. As Alex stated, She disappeared again. I reported her missing at Chiswick Police Station. Of which records show that Alec reported Eleanor missing at 9.15pm on the 5th of November and the 21st of November 1968. Nor returned up after 10 or 12 days and I went to the police station and told them she was home as verified by a constable and her records. After the constable left, there was a terrific row when Nora accused me of reporting her to the police like she was a criminal. She told me never to do it again. And although he cared for her, for Nora, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. At the start of December 1968, just weeks before her death, Nora moved into room 16 of Latvia House in Bayswater, a little room she had stayed at many times before and where she felt safe and warm. What she had run away from wasn't him, but her past. And knowing that he was a good man who loved her without question, that Christmas they spent together The last time she left him was on Sunday the 29th of December 1968. He told the police, I got up, made coffee. I took her a cup in bed and said good morning. She did not answer. She just lay there, a frown on her face, dressed in her comfortable bedclothes of a navy blue slip, a pink woolen housecoat, blue carpet slippers and then when I went into the sitting room she was putting on her makeup she was dressed in a pattern coloured dress and good shoes I asked her if she was going out she told me she was leaving me for good and he knew this was coming I told her I did not want to witness her going so I left the flat and went for a walk. 
the day was bitterly cold, as with a biting winter frost having settled, and for the first time in years, it being a white Christmas. I put a coat on and walked to Gunnersbury Roundabout and then to Kew Bridge and then walked back the same route via the Chiswick flyover. When I returned to the flat, it was getting dark and Nora had gone. She left various dresses, a fur coat, and two or three pairs of shoes I'd brought for her. In fact, all of the things I brought for her were thrown on the bed and the floor. I stayed in all evening and read. I felt nervous, but I did not believe she had left me for good because she had left me before. As always, she left no note and never said where she was going. She had taken a soft suitcase, some clothes, and all of her makeup. To the best of my knowledge, she was dressed in a powder blue grey coat with a real fur collar. The fur was dark brown, and she was carrying a dark blue handbag. The next day, as usual, I went to work and I hoped she would return. Only she didn't. As each day passed, he said he visited the places he thought she might be. But as a private woman who rarely spoke about her life, he assumed, as were her threats, that she had left him for good. Upon the discovery of her name and her former address at 48 Armstrong Road in Mansfield, her brutal and abusive ex-husband, Alexander Essence, was questioned at length by the detectives. As a man with a history and a conviction for violence against her, he was their number one suspect. But with it proven that he never visited her in London, that he had never been to Leatherhead, that he was at home in Mansfield during the time of her murder, and that he didn't know she was staying at Latvia House until eight months after her death, which he didn't learn about until he read it in the papers. Alexander Essence was ruled out as her murderer. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? 
Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Fucking hell. Well, that was a pig to record that one. Oh, again, see Try, oh, trying to fit it in on a Saturday, Saturday morning. I thought I'll do it on a Saturday morning, and I finished writing and rewriting early Saturday morning, and I got to like nine o'clock, and I thought, oh, it's good, it's nice and quiet out. And then I started recording about ten o'clock, <sighs> and then the parakeets woke up. <coughs> The coot was having an effing go, and then my neighbour decided to put his engine on because you know he was bored. He thought, "Oh, I like the sound of it. I'll put the engine on." And then people were going past and stopping and going, "Oh, oh, Maureen, let me tell you about my piles." Oh, so annoying. That took that took ages to record. That's going to be a bitch to edit that one. Oh, anyway. Welcome to Extra Mile, everyone. I don't think I said this last week because I'm out of practice. The unscripted, unedited bit uh, where we uh, do a little bit of chat. Uh, we do some quiz questions. I dive into some extra stuff that's n- that, uh, about the episode, some bits that might not be in the episode. Uh, and then shortly I will I will go off into town. I'm going off to uh, going into the archives today. I, I managed to there's a, a mass shooting in uh, london that i've managed to through freedom of information request i put in loads every year uh i managed to get the file on this one so i'm gonna go in it's a file that's uh the, the problem is you can never tell what what kind of file it is or well, you can tell what kind of file it is but you don't know what it's like sometimes you can go in there and it can be like one page and you go oh is that it or sometimes you go in and you realize it's just news cut cuttings and you just think well you know i'm sure i'm sure 30 years ago that was useful to someone but now just bin them archives just go through and bin them because they're just now you know we have online archives you just don't need them anymore uh and sometimes they're really detailed but this one is a file it's only one file i don't know what length it is and i know that they've taken out about 120 pages which is a good sign because if it was just a shitty file they wouldn't take out 120 pages so that's useful so i'm looking forward to that one that'll be good as much as you can look forward to a file about multiple deaths I'm just gonna have a swig of my. Uh... See, I'm using. I'm still using my uh, my recyclable mug, and it holds it holds the temperature really nicely. By this point, I would be halfway through the episode. I would be drinking icy cold tea, but this is it's tepid. It'll do. Uh, what else is going on? Um, had a bad stomach all day. I don't know why. I th- I think it's because I had beetroot um, burgers yesterday. Which I think were fine, but I think that much beetroot or that much kind of vegan processed stuff, because it is, was it high pro, highly processed stuff? God, my guts went rotten this morning. I was, I was popping off some, 
some some botty burps like a good you're look you're so lucky that um at this point in the i'm going to take your little hat off maybe that's better uh, at this point in the recording um i'm i'm a bit wind free which is good which is very good very good uh and after that i'm going to oh i'm going to pick up my new uh, uh I, I had a nice catch up with bob at twisted britain uh the other day uh i i was desperate to get um, I said to Bob at the start that I'd just recorded the episode before I met up with Bob and I totally forgot the name of his podcast. I don't know why I couldn't picture it in my head. Uh, and I said, I need to record something with you where I, I insert into the episode me going, hi, Bob. Uh, I totally forgot the name of your podcast. What is it? And then I could, I could put it in the episode. I, I forgot about it. Let's just say that we we met up about five o'clock. Uh, we had many, many pints. It was really nice to catch up with old Bob. It's been It's been a while been a while so hopefully we'll do that again that was good fun so uh, yeah he was he showed me his uh, uh earbuds his new earbuds which were very good i've got kind of crappy earbuds he's got noise cancelling expensive ones and I, he was like try these and then i popped them in and, and for a second i thought mm, yeah i don't hear anything see anything and then suddenly he switched them on and i just went oh my god he wasn't playing anything it's just you could hear the noise cancelling kicking in and suddenly i was in, i was in a noisy pub and then suddenly all of that noise almost almost entirely disappeared and i thought wow that is great so i've purchased myself some i've i've, I've splashed out uh, i've i've replaced um some of Eva's more expensive drinks with diesel. She won't know the difference. So there we go. That's that's. I've, I've made a little saving there, and I guess we're saving the environment as well because Eva's Eva's drinks are, are not just got rot. It's it's like napalm. It really is. So uh, yeah, let's do some quiz questions. Then we'll dive into some extra stuff. So here we go. Get ready, folks. Um, I'm not going to make a cup of tea today, as mentioned, because I've already got I've already got my drinky there, uh, and I need to get on the tube very shortly. Ah, ah, ah. Uh, tube i need to be off in about 20 minutes because i've got to get to the archives then then i'm watching the holdovers with a mate at the cinema later on so uh i've got a lot to do today um question number one right what room was nora staying at a latvia house question number two uh how long between nora going missing and her body being found Ooh, got burpy. Question number three: What was the newspaper? Her he- there was the burp. What was the newspaper which her head was wrapped in? Question number four: Her leg bone was sent to be carbon dated where? Question number five: What was the nationality of the hallmark on her ring? Who were? Question number six: What countries were Interpol searching for her in? See, it's fascinating now. It's gone really quiet. Coots are fucked off. Uh, parakeets are buggered off. And no one is moving their boat. I li- oh. When a boat comes in, you can hear it coming in. So you have to stop your recording. Because even though I've got all, all my sound protectors around me, it's still, it still permeates all that. So you can hear it coming in. So you have to wait like a minute and a half, two minutes for it to catch up to you. And then there's the... When it goes past, because some people have really shit engines, and then you have to wait another two minutes as it fucks off the other way. Really annoying. Uh, so that was question number six. Uh, what countries were Interpol searching for her in? Question number seven. What job did her stepfather do? Question number eight. Why did she have a limp on her right leg? Question number nine. What was the nationality of her first husband? 
And question number ten: In what country did she marry her second husband, Alexander Essens? So there we go. There we go. Uh, let's try and dive into some extra stuff about her. Quite a lot of it I've, I've probably tried to put into the episode, but we'll, we'll just go through it just in case. So as mentioned, she was a Latvian refugee. She was 48 years old when she died. Born in Riga, which is the capital of Latvia. Uh, most people knew her as Nora. Uh, born on Christmas Eve, 1920, which means she died uh, not too long after her birthday. Uh, her first married name was Eleonora Viana. Um, uh, husband was Greek. Uh, can't really find out much about her, so we don't really know whether she was a Latvian national or whether she was Greek as well. We just don't know. Uh, she's five foot four inches tall, medium build, busty, Ooh. Uh, fair complexion, small hands, dark brown hair, which was wavy, grey blue eyes, a slightly broken nose. Uh, I managed to track down loads of pictures of, of um, Nora. I'm going to call her Nora. And yeah, she very much seems to be an interesting personality in a way. She's kind of... I think that's what I wanted to get across with this episode is the kind of the, the trauma of her life. We don't really know a lot about her very early life. So we only seem to know her life when she gets married. So... And obviously, you know, you, she's early. Uh, we don't know much about her kids either. We don't know whether the kids survived birth, so became born, or whether they were died pre-birth. It's it's very vague in the police files, and because it's kind of not really important there, the only real uh, piece of information that they really needed around that was the fact that she had uh, appendicitis, uh, and she had a full hysterectomy so that was because of the scarring of the, of the torso and therefore they used that to try and track down where she was but they didn't really dive into her children because it wasn't really of use to the kind of murder investigation although it's kind of useful for us but these are details that i couldn't find out um so we know that she's neurotic and jealous and quite attention seeking she has a tendency to flirt with men and you know she will sleep with strangers I, I don't uh, she's not a bad person I, I think she's she's one of those people who's not had a lot of love in her life and she's desperate to kind of find love but when she does find love or she finds someone who's good good to her because she's had people in her life who are bad to her therefore she rejects the people who are good because she always thinks that they're going to turn out to be bad uh oh little boat going past a little quiet one very quiet um uh what else we got world war ii as mentioned you know i hope you know she was only 19 when war broke out and don't forget world war world war ii isn't just uh 1939 to 45 you're also dealing with the early 30s sometimes into the 20s as well and as mentioned in here for uh many people the war didn't just finish in 1945 it went on for many years afterwards there's a lot of ramifications which we've kind of dealt with in murder mile many times before um her first husband was a latvian national who was killed during the war we don't know much about him all we know is his surname on there um some references say that he was greek some references say that he was estonian he could have been estonian greek we don't know um it is said see these were all quite vague some said that her religion was greek orthodox but i can't find any other references to her being greek orthodox so maybe 
he was Greek Orthodox, and because she married him, she became Greek Orthodox as well, but we don't know that. Um, we know that she was a widow, of course, and she became one of the 40 to 50 million people who were displaced after the Second World War. Uh, we don't know why she didn't want to go back to uh, Latvia. We don't know whether her parents are still there. We don't know whether they're still alive. We don't know about her young sister, whether she's still there. But she doesn't seem to have much connection to them anymore, or at least it's not reported here. Uh, so she doesn't go back, um, I guess because, because Latvia at the end became, uh, until 1990 when they became, uh, uh an independent country, uh, post-World War II, when obviously everyone was kind of divvying up, going, hey, we won, right, you can have that bit, I'll have this bit, which was, which, uh, a lot of the countries seemed to do, um, which is not right, given the fact that it is someone else's country, um, uh, Latvia was handed over to the Russians and therefore it became a, a Russian country or a Soviet country until uh, 1990. So it could be that her... It is said that her husband at the time, the Greek guy, uh, was fighting for the German forces. So it could likely be that because he... Cause, I mean, he could he could have been pro-Nazi, but also a lot of people there. Do you know when the when the Germans and the Russians came in, they kind of grouped people up and said, "Okay, you've got a choice: either you go to a concentration camp where you can stay for the rest of your life and probably end up dead, or you can fight for us." And what do people do? Do you know you need money, you need a way to survive. You you don't want to end up dead. Uh, you join either side, and unfortunately, because of the strategic positioning of Latvia, quite a few people were like you've got to pick one or the other and and as mentioned in the episode some families were split down the middle with one side going german and the other side going russian so it was a really difficult time for everyone so um and obviously the the country was absolutely decimated at the end you know they rest they estimate that 25 percent of the population were gone you know they'd either been murdered or killed during war or displaced and gone elsewhere so uh uh elena uh, was one of those who were displaced um she married alexander essence i've tried deliberately to kind of keep a distance on here so alexander essence i always refer to him as alexander and then uh alec who is alexander yanags uh i call him alec because she calls him alec it's, it, it was it's very annoying when you have when you have an episode where two people have the same first name and you just go for fuck's sake it's like older episodes everyone is called william or elizabeth and it's really annoying because it's the most popular name. Um, so, yeah, uh, Alexander Essens, uh, he was an ex-coal miner. I, I might see if we've got some more details on him. Maybe I might do that. Uh, let me just have a, a scroll down, a scroll down. Um, so, yep, uh, they married in... I can't tell you where because uh, that's one of the quiz questions. Uh, he was a, uh, also a, in a displaced persons camp. So that's where they met. Um, uh, he'd brought a wedding, silver wedding ring with the hallmark inside. So he remembered, he even said to the police, uh, yeah, there's a hallmark inside. It's 83-something. That's exact quote from him. He was right. It was 835. Uh, and he said, she also had a small amber ring from Latvia. She wore two silver rings. The first one was too large and it kept slipping off, which is why there was two on one hand. Um, initially, 
She applied uh, to the UK to work as domestic help, i.e. a cleaner. This was granted. This was in 1947. Uh, But at that time, permits were only being given to females. So even though they were married, Alexander had to stay in the country they were in, which is one of the quiz questions. And then later he followed. Um, He was born uh, 26th of March 1927. And as far as we know, he died February 1944 in Mansfield. Uh, And just so you know, he did ultimately uh marry helen singh who was the woman he was having an affair with and according to the details here he had a child with her as well while he was in a relationship or married to uh eleanor uh and they married october 1972 so a year after the body was found uh i can't remember if this is a quiz question i don't think it is uh, she worked at York Hospital, then Market Harbour, Full Sutton and Worksop, and then she finally uh, worked, moved to Mansfield General Hospital. Uh, but she stopped working in and around the time that she had her appendix operation. So this became kind of useful to kind of work out who she was because, you know, uh, she hadn't got uh, a criminal record, therefore the fingerprints were of no use. It, it took a while to kind of work out her age and things like that. Uh, so with the autopsy they were able to say that uh she had an appendix operation in 1947 they were able to prove that um 1959 she'd undergone a full hysterectomy at the polish hospital 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 in penley um it, kind of interesting in a way because she told alexander that she'd had it done uh in the country this is an annoying thing about doing the quiz questions in the country where she was a displaced person uh, and that meant she couldn't have any kids but they were in a relationship well they're in a relationship uh, or they were married from 1946-47 uh, up until 1963 when her and Alec kind of moved in so if she had a hysterectomy in 1959 she wasn't exactly if that's correct she wasn't exactly being truthful to him about the fact that she couldn't have kids so maybe maybe that was another thing as well another reason why their relationship was kind of in a in a fracturous state um they did argue a lot he he was abusive to her but she was quite vocal as well so uh i i kind of mentioned at the start that uh alec yannick's um saw he you know the walls were really thin he was brought in by her to kind of try and keep uh alexander away from her because he was quite violent but you know he's he's a small man he's quite a meek man he's he's softly spoken they they really liked him uh in fact uh alexander and alec still remained friends even afterwards and right up until the point of the murder um we might get into this to later episodes but they were still corresponding with each other they still got on really well and even to the point where at one point where alexander beat up nora and she ended up in hospital it was uh, alec yannix who he actually turned around to and says look i need to apologize to her but i don't know how to do it can you do it on my behalf and, and say that i'm really sorry so you know it, it, it's a weird situation so even though Alexander, so Alexander and Nora were a couple. Uh, we'll probably get into this in, into the next one. Um, Alec and his wife Ingrid had two children, and they just split up. So obviously, uh, Alec moved in with uh, uh, Alexander and Nora. So Alexander and Alec. Maybe we'll get into this in next week's episode as well. Uh, they were both minors in the same colliery, so that's how they knew each other. So do you know they were mates before? 
before he even met Nora. So it was kind of a, a long-established friendship, and they kind of remained friends for quite a bit. Um, uh, oh, in total, so in total on the torso, uh, on her body, she had five scars. Uh, she had a T-shaped scar at the elbow of the left arm. Uh, she had a mole in her armpit, which was removed again in the hospital in 1960. Uh, in 1960, she had a hernia operation. That's according to Alexander. Uh, and she also had bruises uh, from the scooter accident in uh, August 1968. Uh, let's just see what we get um apparently we'll probably get into this next week as well um yeah so they they kind of met each other at thorsby colliery in mansfield that's where they became mates in 1952 uh alec yannigs and uh nora met during a party at easter 1956 uh, we probably will dive into that next week um Alec would say, we used a lot of this in the episode, but he said the main reasons for the breakdown of Mr. and Mrs. Essen's marriage, so that's Alexander and Nora, uh, was her refusal to have a child by him and his habitual drunkenness, which is true. This led to many violent quarrels. At least once he beat her up and was in hospital for treatment. Her husband came to me. He was crying. He asked me to visit his wife in hospital and asked for her forgiveness on his behalf. Um... I'll miss out the next bit because that's key for next week. Um, I didn't put this in the episode, but this might pop up late in next week's episode as well. They both had knowledge of each other's affairs and didn't seem to mind. Relationships kind of shit by that point. And uh, this is an era where people are trying not to, you know, divorce is still seen as a bad thing. Whereas, you know, now it's just, I think, I think, was it one in two marriages fell? I think it's just accepted now that people go, oh, you're getting divorced. Oh, okay, good luck. Um, Mr. Essens had also had an affair. Uh, ooh, can't do that bit. Uh, <laughs> Got to be really careful. Uh, uh, Mrs. Essens, that's Nora, hoped that my presence in the house would restrain her husband from beating her. And this was, in fact, what happened. Mrs. Essens... Uh, can't read that bit. Uh, 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 her husband, in a fit of drunken anger, kicked her out of the house. I was present at the time, and I tried to restrain him from attacking her, but I was only partially successful. Uh, this time, the quarrel was over some money that Mrs. Essence had spent, although I believe the real reason uh, for the uh, for this was the outburst was Mr. Essence's involvement with a widow, that will be Helen, uh, who was living around the corner and had had a child by him. Core lummy, look at all the scandal that's going on. Uh, uh that horrible sound. Horrible sound of a, ch- a child. A child screaming. Oh ugh, yuck. Uh I enjoyed that on Christmas Eve. I was in coffee shop on Christmas Eve enjoying myself and uh uh, the kids kids were like high on sugar and running around like screaming and the parents were looking frantic and uh yeah oh, i just thought thank god i'm not doing that i was talking to a friend who does have kids and, and, and she said yeah uh, christmas is an absolute nightmare you've got to time everything perfectly on their kind of their moods and their, their highs and their lows and you've got to get it all right in order to see you can just survive christmas eve and get yourself to christmas day and i thought that's not how you meant to do christmas is not getting through it it's like enjoy it but kids little bastards they are horrible things really i just get a dog get a dog 
Dog, dog is faithful and loving. Kid, ugh, sick. Uh, what else have we got? <laughs> um, uh, 42 Queensborough Terrace, uh, Latvia House is still there today. Uh, it, I think it's still called Latvia House. Uh, and I think it, it is still a hotel and you can still book into there. I don't know whether it's more of a mainstream hotel now, uh, but uh, yeah, apparently you can. Um, what else have we got? Uh, the violence, the escalating violence. So even though, even though they still live together, um, Alexander and Nora, because, because she couldn't earn any money because of her pains and she wasn't able to work, uh, and kind of, you've got... Uh, Alec Yanix, who's unable to work as well because he's disabled by this point. He's, you know, he's got uh, he's got one eye and he's registered disabled because of his back, and he's so he can't be a coal miner anymore, which was the job he was assigned when he came to the UK. And he's trying to get a job as an interpreter, which is really really difficult for him. But he does eventually do it. Um, so they're all all four of them are still living in the same house together at forty eight uh armstrong street armstrong road in mansfield which is fascinating they're all there together this disparate series of couples all living in the same house uh so um so that's why even though alexander and nora are separated they're still in the same house therefore the violence is still there so he would say over the Christmas period of 1963 we had a big row over a party she had gone to about two weeks previous it ended with me hitting my wife and, and she's scratching and fighting me. I got burpees, sorry. After the row, she left home. Uh, Yanigs left the house uh, about two days later and took all of his personal possessions. Two weeks later, she took all of hers. Following that row, I was summoned for the offence of assaulting my wife. I was fined £5 at Mansfield Magistrates Court. He... Uh, uh, I was also ordered to pay £5 per week as maintenance. Uh, that was the last time I saw it, so we used that in the episode. Uh, so he's got two orders against him. Uh, and as, epi- as mentioned in the episode... Actually, there's three references to Alexander Essence in the newspapers. One, I didn't, I didn't end up using in here, but it was April 1957, Nottingham Evening News... A Scottish miner was alleged to have grabbed a bottle of wine from the pocket of a Latvian and broke it on the back of another man's head. The Latvian was cut and had to go to hospital. John Joseph Newlands, 22, pleaded guilty to maliciously wounded, wounding Alexander Essence of Armstrong Road, Mansfield, and he was fined £20, uh, which he agreed to pay at £4 per week. Newlands was stated to have approached a woman in the company of a Latvian, so that could be Eleonora, in a local hotel. But Chief Inspector Hannock said the Scot was not was not satisfied she was not the person he thought she was. We really don't know much about this. It's a really old story. Uh, Essence told the man... Essence told the man she was his wife, but after an argument, the Scot forced them to the ground where... Uh, where he was kicked in the face and struck about the body. Uh, Newlands stated he acted in self-defence. Odd little story there, but that's Alexander Essence. There seems to be a, he seems to be quite a violent man. There's a lot of drunkenness going on. Uh, and as mentioned, uh, Nottingham Evening Post, Wednesday the 31st of July 1963, Uncle thrashed two boys with a rope. Pleading guilty to two summonses, Alex- they've got him listed as Alexandris Essence. Could just be a spelling mistake. 
Alexandris Essence, 39, was fined £5 for assault causing grievous bodily harm to Graham Singh, 13, and Geoffrey Singh, 12. Essence, who was regarded as their uncle, inverted commas, took the boys to their bedroom and thrashed them with a, skip, a skipping rope after being asked by their mother to make them behave. Uh, court said that the punishment was disappropri disappropriate uh, and the police were alerted by an anonymous phone call. We don't know who made that anonymous phone call. Uh, the old, at that point, uh, their older brother was already in prison. Uh, that The boys... Uh, the boys had to go to hospital for their injuries. So, yeah, not 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 a nice man. Not a nice man at all. Which is why you can kind of see why the uh, police would see him as... When they started going to Mansfield and Nottinghamshire area and they started looking around for her, because she'd lived there for years, and then obviously they check out his criminal record and they go, oh, he's got um, he's got a criminal record for various violent uh, offences, but also one of them is, is against the woman who was dead. Instantly you could see why the, the police would go, right, well, it must be him but it wasn't bum 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 so let's do the quiz questions because i've got to get the tube ah tube right question number one what room was nora staying in at latvia house it was room 16 question number two how long had nora been missing uh how long between nora going missing and her body being found uh, if you're near to a month on this one, I'll give you that. It was two years and nine months. Question number three. What was the newspaper which her head was wrapped in? It was the Evening Standard. Question number four. Her leg bone was sent to sent where to be carbon dated? It was the Smithsonian Institute. Question number five. What, national, what nationality was the hallmark on her ring? Who were... It was German. German. The Germans. Question number six. Which countries were Interpol searching for her in? Austria, Germany, Switzerland and France. If you've got three of those, I'll give you that. Uh, what job did her stepfather do? He was a jeweller. Question number eight. What? Uh, why did she have a limp on her left leg? Uh, the a broken bone was not set correctly. Apparently it was it was uh, broken in and around the knee, so the knee kind of on her right leg kind of cambered uh, outwards. Uh, question number nine: What nationality was her first husband? I think I gave that away in the uh, the uh, the the bump, didn't I? He was Greek, like Prince Philip, Greek. And question number ten: In what country did she marry her second husband, Alexander Essens? Easy one: Germany, Germany. So that's me done, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. That was part two of Meticulous. All the pieces are coming together. There's lots in there. I've deliberately made something that's really uh, dense and lots of details in there. But don't worry, it all leads to something really important at the end. Have you already worked it out yet? There's a lot in there to kind of work out. So have yourself a good one, folks. Stay safe and be good. And thank you for supporting the show. It's very much appreciated. <sighs> lots of love. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.